Welcome to our worship from Seal Church, led by me, Canon Anne Labar. The hymn which ends the service is sung by the choristers of St Martin in the Fields. Let us pray. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Holy God, faithful and unchanging, enlarge our minds with the knowledge of your truth, and draw us more deeply into the mystery of your love, that we may truly worship you, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our first reading is from the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 13, beginning at verse 11. Brothers and sisters, put things in order. Listen to my appeal. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. The Gospel is from Matthew chapter 28 beginning at verse 16. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, to the end of the age. In the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today is Trinity Sunday, the day when I suppose I should be explaining to you the mystery of how God can be three and one at the same time, probably using dodgy analogies of ice, water and steam, or images of shamrocks or long theological words like perichoresis. You'll probably be quite glad to hear that I'm not going to do any of that, though. But that doesn't mean that I think the idea of the Trinity doesn't matter. It's just that it seems to me it's something to explore rather than explain, to wonder at rather than dissect. The idea of the Trinity started with the experience of the early Christians, and it's when we let it speak to our experience that I think it really starts to make a difference to us. In particular, it grew out of their experience of the truth of the words Jesus spoke to them at the end of his ministry, the words we heard in our Gospel reading just now. Remember, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Matthew's Gospel doesn't include the story of Jesus ascending into heaven. It's only Luke who tells that tale. Why is that? Well, it could be that Matthew doesn't know the story Luke tells. Their Gospels were written around the same time. 
but I think it's more likely that Matthew is simply making a different point. Luke emphasises that Jesus is going away at this point. The disciples stand gawping up into space in his story until angels appear to tell them to go back to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. But Matthew wants to emphasise the fact that though they may no longer see Jesus, he's not, in a sense, gone anywhere at all. Remember, I am with you always. Matthew's story isn't about absence, it's about presence. And it's been so right from the beginning of his gospel. Matthew is the one who describes an angel telling Joseph that Mary will bear a child who will be called Emmanuel. He's quoting from the prophet Isaiah. Emmanuel means God is with us. Matthew is the one also who tells us that when we do anything to help the least and the last in the world, we do it for Christ. He's present in the hungry and thirsty and homeless. And if we ignore them, we miss seeing him too. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to yeast, hidden in the dough, indistinguishable from it, but transforming it from a solid lump to good bread. The kingdom of heaven has come near, says Matthew again and again. And that brings me back to the Trinity. I haven't forgotten about the Trinity. The early Christians were convinced that God was Father, Son and Holy Spirit because that was their experience. It wasn't a dry and complicated doctrine for them, but a living reality. They knew of God as creator and loving parent from their scriptures. That was foundational to Jewish belief. When they met Jesus, they had the sense that they were meeting someone who showed them what God was like, who bore God's likeness in his flesh, the family likeness. And when Jesus was no longer physically present, they sensed him through the Holy Spirit, who came to them in prayer and in the new communities they formed, and in the people they reached out to, people who they might once have shunned as unclean outsiders, different from themselves. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, said Paul to the Romans. They realised that God wasn't, and had never been, hiding in a distant heaven in untouchable perfection. He was all around them and within them. That doesn't mean they thought there was no heavenly realm beyond their earthly experience. They knew that they hadn't seen heaven in all its fullness yet, but they discovered that it started here and now. There was no separation between humanity and God. In Christ and in the Holy Spirit, God was where they were, going through what they went through with them. And that changed them utterly. Just imagine what a difference it, it would make if we fully understood this ourselves. If we truly realised that God was present in us and in one another. How might that change the way we treated each other and ourselves? Just imagine what a difference it would make if we fully understood that God was present in our homes and our workplaces. If we were to save him a seat at the dinner table or a desk at the office, 
If we were to see him in the people we pass in the street, or those who work to provide the essentials of our lives, those who grow our food, make our clothes, collect our rubbish, how might that affect the decisions we make, the way we live? Just imagine what a difference it would make if we truly believed that God was present in every part of his creation. Wouldn't we care for the world rather better than we do now? It was the sense of God's presence within them, first in Jesus, then in his Holy Spirit, known in prayer, known in the communities they formed, known in the people they reached out to, which transformed those early Christians and made them so excited that their message spread to the ends of the earth. But it took practice to learn this. It didn't happen by magic. And that's something we need to take note of if we want to know the presence of God. It's obvious from our second reading, in which Paul tells the Corinthians to put things in order and live in peace with one another, that they weren't always doing that. But it was only as they did that that they would become aware of the God of love and peace being with them, said Paul. Perhaps that's why Jesus doesn't just say to his disciples, I am with you always. He says, remember, I am with you always. Or to translate it more accurately, behold, I am with you always. The Greek word idu means look. If we want to see God's presence, it's telling us, we have to look for it. And doing that will shape the way we live. Until I was in my 20s, I really didn't know very much about gardening and I wasn't very interested. Gardens were full of green things. Very pretty, but indistinguishable to me from any other green things. A leaf was a leaf was a leaf. It was only when I started gardening myself that I started really to look. I needed to differentiate the seedling I wanted to nurture from the weed I needed to pull out. It's the same with God. He doesn't usually shout at us. He doesn't write in golden letters in the sky. He doesn't force himself on us if we don't want him. But if we open our eyes to him, we learn to find him. As we pray, we discover the one to whom we pray. As we come together, we discover God in our sisters and brothers. As we reach out beyond ourselves, we discover God is already there, waiting for us, at work in all people and places, in all times and seasons, in sorrow as well as in joy. And that discovery changes us, as it changed those first disciples, like the yeast that leavens the dough. Remember, behold, look, I am with you always, says Jesus. The good news that Matthew proclaims from beginning to end in his gospel is that God has never abandoned us and will never abandon us. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Father, Son and Holy Spirit are a trinity of love woven inextricably through the life of the world. God calls us to see him and know him, to trust him and work with him, wherever we find him. Let's pray for the grace to do just that. Amen.
And so as we bring our prayers to God, we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, be among you and remain with you always. Amen.